You're listening to Infertility Bites. It's a catharsis podcast. Infertility Bites, but it bites a bit less when you're not alone. My name is Casey, and I'm blessed to be joined by my co-captain in this journey, my wife, Sarah. Hello. On this series, we're going to talk about our experiences dealing with infertility. It is important to note that we are not doctors or even experts, just people who understand how difficult it can be. Each person's journey is unique, kind of like a fingerprint, so it's best to leave the medicine to the professional. On this episode, we're going to talk a bit about the start of our journey, and then we're going to share a story from one of our listeners. But first, for those not going through this, or those who new to this, we thought uh, it'd be great to kind of go over some of the terms and abbreviations that are going to be used going through this to help you understand. There's almost a whole different language being spoken, so it's important to go over some of the basics. This is by no means an exhaustive list. It would take a whole episode just to, <laughs> yeah, just to go over that. This is just kind of a quick intro into some of the terms that are thrown around uh, in infertility. So we're going to kind of jump back and forth on this, but... One term that you're going to see a lot um, in people's stories, they're going to talk about their beta. Uh, beta is the beta pregnancy test. It's a blood test for the hormone HCG. And I, I could read it out, but it's a big mouthful of, of letters. Um, but the levels of HG, HCG increase steadily in the early stages of pregnancy, showing physicians that a healthy pregnancy is progressing. So this is going to be the test that takes place after a treatment when uh, you're checking to see if you are pregnant. Um, That's a big important. Um, Another one is E2, which refers to your level of estrogen. Uh, The estrogen level correlates directly with the number of follicles in your ovaries, as well as their activities. Uh, It helps physicians to estimate how many eggs you will have for the retrieval during your cycle and lets them know the fertility medications. Lets them know if the fertility medications are working the way that they should be. Um, you've also got FSH. It's the follicle stimulating hormone. It's uh, used in conjunction with the E2 test. Uh, the FSH is released by the brain to stimulate the ovarian follicles um, to grow and develop. So uh, sometimes uh, in certain treatments, you will get get injections or or some sort of um, FSH treatment to stimulate the follicles to grow more mature eggs uh, for the process. Um, in conjunction, you also have HSG, mm. and it's another mouthful of words, uh, hysteriosalpingogram. I, I know I butchered that, but it's a it's a test to determine the conditions of the fallopian tubes and the uterus. Uterus. When it is um, done, they inject a dye into the cervix, and my wife is laughing. I know enough about this one. It is it is not a fun procedure, but if it's done by by a, a person experienced who's, doctors, yeah, someone who's done it a lot, it's a lot better. Yeah, I had it done twice. But uh, what it is, this dye goes in, and it helps them see the condition of your um, uterus, your fallopian tubes, all of that stuff to make sure. Um, that they're clear so that uh, when ovulating, an egg can drop to the proper position. An x-ray sees that dye and determines if it's normal and the tubes are open. Um, This is the best test to look at the tubes and also provides an opportunity to look at the shape and the contours of the uterus to make sure that it's ready for implantation. Um, The next one is IUI and I'm also not going to try to pronounce that because... Intrauterine insemination. There you go. Or as... A lot of people call it turkey baster method. 
or even doctor said that when we were there. Um, it's a low-tech fertility treatment that involves placing sperm inside a woman's uterus to facilitate fertilization. Placing the sperm directly into the uterus makes the trip to the fallopian tubes much shorter, providing the sperm with a shorter distance to reach the egg. Which, in all honesty, we wish this would have been what we needed, mm -hmm. but... Uh, Unfortunately, we needed to move on to the next, next one. Next one, which is IVS. Intro vito... Intro... In in vitro. In vitro fertilization, sorry. is a method of assisted reproductive uh, reproduction that involves combining the egg with sperm in a laboratory. If the egg fertilizes and the cells begin to divide, the resulting embryo is transferred to the woman's uterus, where it will hopefully implant in the uterus lining and further develop. Um, we have LH, which is the luteinizing hormone. It's uh, produced by the cells in the pituitary gland. In women, the rise of LH, known as the LH surge, is what triggers ovulation or the release of eggs. So it's a test. They'll, they'll check for that to monitor your fertility um, in certain levels of uh, fertility treatments to make sure that you're ovulating properly and that you're ready for your your next step in it. So if you're doing IUI or or even in vitro, they need to know your LH surge. Um, you also have uh, a thing called MF or MFI, which stands for male factor infertility, right? So this is the opposite of female factor infertility. This is when when uh, the woman is healthy and able to conceive, but it's the man who's got the problem. Often you'll find it's a combination of both. But male factor infertility uh, can occur from structural abnormalities, sperm production disorders, ejaculatory disturbances, immunological dis disorders, physical damage. Um, nearly 40% of infertility is at least related to male factor infertility, which is why it's important uh, in fertility treatments to get the man tested, even if we think it's yeah. something with and the female. If it's a good doctor, they would mm -hmm. recommend that yes. also. So. Um, and and here, here's the deal, guys out there. If you're a guy and uh, you're just getting started on this journey with your wife and all this stuff, trust me. The guy's side of the journey is so much easier than the woman's side. Um, so much easier. Uh, so get you know, your testing done first. You can do your testing. It's easy. It's simple. It's it's awkward, but not uncomfortable, if that's the word to, to use for it. Um, P4, or the hormone known as progesterone, is tested to determine the following. If ovulation has occurred, when ovulation has occurred, if there is normally growing pregnancy, if there has been an ectop ectopic pregnancy. That, yep. okay. Ectopic pregnancy is when the egg implants in the fallopian tubes rather than in the uterus, and it can be very dangerous. If there's been a miscarriage, uh, proge progesterone levels will surge before ovulation and should continue to rise if you become pregnant. Um, also, PCOS, polycystic ovary syndrome, as a disorder in which ovaries produce excessive amounts of male hormones and the ovaries develop many small cysts. This hormone imbalances can prevent ovulation. And this definitely affects me because that is what I was diagnosed mm -hmm. with. That was one of the major things in our struggle. So there's been PCOS. a lot of research on that since that happened. So, 
Um, we also have uh, PGS, which is the preconception genetic screening. Also, there's PGD, which is the pre-implantation pre genetic diagnosis. They're kind of go hand in hand. PGD is more about testing the parents to see if they've got certain genetic diseases uh, that can be passed down to the kid um, in case they need to be prepared for things well, yeah, like I mean, spina bifida or something like that. You know, it's nice to know in advance if either of the parents are carriers um, of it yeah. that you can be prepared. Uh, yeah. PGS is actually, it's a state-of-the-art procedure that uh, is used in IVF where they can actually select certain embryos that are free of the chromosomal abnormalities or specific genetic disorders in order to transfer those embryos only. So they go hand-in-hand. Hand. The PGD um, lets you know if the parents are carriers of these things, and if they are, the PGS uh, allows them to try to make sure that the eggs that are implanted don't carry these genes and are going to be healthier babies for and then like i talked about earlier the mfi male factor infertility that comes to the semen analysis sa will be an uh, abbreviation you'll often see semen analysis is performed prior to a treatment cycle in order to evaluate the sperm's potential to fertilize the egg. It tells the physician the number of sperm that are present, often called the sperm count, and whether they are normal and how well they move, aka their motility. Um, in our case, it played into it. Um, and, and so that's what led us all the way to IVF instead of IUI. Um, if, if we were only dealing with one issue, just Sarah's, uh, PCOS, they might've tried us on some IUI, yeah. but dealing with both of them, they felt it was just safer to move us straight to IVF. Uh, secondary infertility is defined as the inability to become pregnant despite engaging in unprotected intercourse following the birth of one or more biological children who were born without the aid of fertility treatment or medication. And that's important to note, just because you had one baby already does not mean infertility can't still strike you. That's what secondary infertility is. Yeah. It's when people were able to conceive one baby and then try and try and try and can't do it a second time and they don't know why. Yeah. That's important to note that this happens. And it's, it's I don't want to say normal, but it's something that happens to people and it's not something they should be ashamed well, yeah, of. Yeah, and people don't tend to want to complain about that because they have a, you know, they have a kid. I'm technically, I have a, a friend that had, I think, a little six-year-old and they just announced that they were pregnant not too long ago and they were like, we didn't want to talk about it because people were like, well, you already have one. You shouldn't be upset. But just like with us, if you or wanting more than one kid, it can be frustrating. So, um, where are we at? TCC. Oh, yeah. TTC stands for trying to conceive. People generally consider trying to conceive as the time period in which they have uh, intentionally been trying to have a baby. But physicians consider it to be the entire time during which a couple is having regular unprotected intercourse. Even if a couple is not intentionally trying to conceive, pregnancy should occur after uh, approximately one year of unprotected intercourse. Mm -hmm. And then the final one we're going to cover right now is the 2WW or two week wait. It is the um, most stressful time for uh, mm -hmm. people in infertility treatment because it is the two weeks following a procedure where uh, 
you don't know if it was successful before you can finally take the tests and see if you were pregnant. Yep. And like a lot of prayers and a lot of just meditation to not stress. Yes, it's a very stressful time because you're you're literally sitting there not knowing whether all this money and all this time and everything that you just spent was successful or whether you're going to have to go through it all over again. And and the unfortunate thing is a lot of people do have to do it multiple times, uh, especially with, with some treatments like IUI. You uh, find a lot of people it's unsuccessful the first time, and then they can make some changes to the, the drug regimen or whatever, and then it can be successful afterwards or whatever. But it's often not successful the first time, and you go through all of this, the drugs and the procedures and all of that stuff, and then you have to wait two weeks without knowing anything um, and and just hoping. And then you get to take the test and find out. And even then, uh, positive is not necessarily a positive. Then you got to go into a doctor and have yeah. them take a so that's the other a thing. bigger test. And and you can get a false positive the first time. So, and they warn you this. I mean, they mm-hmm. tell you that okay, you still have to go through the second one. So yes, but which it doesn't help. But I mean, it's one of those things. Mm-hmm. So so those are just the the brief. Uh, Going over abbreviations. I'm sure we will come up with some other ones down the road that we didn't know to talk about right now or didn't think of right now, but those are the brief ones. So we're going to move on to a little bit about how our story began. I know we talked a little bit on the first episode, but um, my wife and I have been married now for just over 12 years. Um, We have been together for 17 years. Um, And so... We have a little bit of an age difference between us, which you know may or may not have played into our fertility problems. Um, the The biggest one would be I'm about eight years older than Sarah. Um, Technically seven right now. Yeah. So I said about. Um, and so you know, there's every chance that that my better fertility years are behind us um and it probably at least played at least a little into it um but of course like we said sarah with her pcos here's the thing though we didn't know about that at the time we got married we uh you know we like i said we dated for five years before we got married when dating uh and this is maybe getting into a tmi uh situation for a lot of people But when we were dating, we were not sexually active with each other. Uh, It was something before I started dating Sarah, I had been sexually active with previous partners. Um, Sarah, however, was not. And Sarah's uh, asking me when we started dating to wait. And I was willing to wait. And so that's what it comes down to is, you know, we dated for five years and waited for each other then we get married and we decide we don't want to hop into having kids right away we wanted to enjoy being married Mm -hmm. just the two of us yep and and we did and we had a great three years or so two or three years of being married and and getting to know each other intimately getting to know what we're like living together because we also did not live together before marriage um our our engagement was short Mm -hmm. um we dated for five years 
Um, and then uh, her, I had bought a house and her lease was about up on her apartment. In fact, it was up at the end of the month. And I had looked at her, uh, that July about midway through. And I said, so, um, are you gonna, are we going to just get married so you can come move into the house with me? And she said, well, yeah, I, I, I guess that's what we'll do. And so we went down to the courthouse and we filled out the paperwork and we set the date for the minister um, at on the 29th, the second to last day of that month, because we knew that then on the last day we would pack all of her stuff up from her place and move it into the house and start our life together. Um, so very, very brief. I, I always joke that we were never actually engaged. We went straight from dating to married. <laughs> Um, cause I, cause I, I still get crap for it because I didn't get down on my knee and, and do yeah. some grand, uh, gesture. I, do. I'm sorry. I just, uh, I just said, shall we just do this? And she said, yeah, I guess we'll do it. And I said, okay, then here we go. Um, but so we, we, uh, spent about two to three years, um, enjoying newly married life and working on our careers and I mean we had a lot of ups and downs in our careers during that first two years of marriage um and then we decided we're ready to have baby well, and some of it for me was my sister and my brother had both mm. announced that they were pregnant mm-hmm. and growing up I didn't have any close cousins but Casey did and so I was and he always would talk about how wonderful it was they would get together and I always thought Man, I didn't have that. I always thought that was wonderful. So, I mean, that wasn't the only reason, but I thought, oh, this is great. You know, I was kind of thinking about it and here, my sister and my brother, they're about ready to. You know. So that was part of the reason that I was kind of wanted to try then. Mm-hmm. So we uh, we start trying and nothing happens. And then we, we, we're continuing to try and we start noticing a kind of weird pattern. Uh, my wife's cycle was never 100% rock steady, um, but none of her doctors ever thought it was weird. They thought it was fine, whatever. And we started to notice this pattern that on the months that we tried particularly hard, that we tried to time things and all this stuff, her cycle would almost always be late, but she'd never show signs of pregnancy and it would eventually come and you know it was never late enough that we could do a pregnancy test to to know for certain but it would be like a week late or five days late it's pretty harsh you know and, and that was always just heartbreaking because we wanted a baby so bad at that point so we start talking to doctors and uh this brings me to the first first issue of a segment that I'll call Shit Doctors Said. And this one, this one bugs me to this day. It frustrates me that a doctor even said this to me. Um, but there's a good chance that uh, someone out there listening had a doctor say something similar to them. And we had doctors specifically look at us and say, well, true infertility is really rare. We just need to find the right combination of timing or combination of this or combination of that. Um, and and they didn't take our problems serious from uh-huh. the beginning. Even my gynecologist didn't take my any of the concerns I ever did have. Which, if I would have looked up PCOS a long time ago, I probably should have. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's the deal. You know, we were at the time living in the town that we both grew up in, which is about three hours west of where we live now, a small town called Kearney, Nebraska. 
and it's got about 30,000 people there. Central Nebraska has about quarter to a third of a million people living in it. Um, but this entire area of central Nebraska, Kearney, Grand Island, Hastings, and all of the surrounding smaller communities, um, there's not a single fertility specialist in that entire area. In fact, uh, in between Omaha, where we now live, and Denver, on the other side, there's not a single fertility specialist along that entire route. Um, and so we're dealing with just general practitioners. And so they kept, you know, assigning us certain things to do. Like they had Sarah do the basal body temperature, which is every morning taking your temperature uh, to track its its ups and its downs. Because when you can start to spot, spot a spike, spike. in it, yeah. you know that that's probably when you're ovulating. And then you can start, start trying really hard during that. Um, and that, of course, was unsuccessful. And then they had to start taking uh, fertility tests. Yeah. And, and those were frustrating because we'd take them. Uh, I'd say we'd take them. Sarah <laughs> would take them. Um, and those and- were always, like, I would end my cycle and the next day it'd be like, you're fertile. And then the next time I would take it, it would be like, nope. Two weeks later, it'd be, then it would be, like, it was never consistent. Mm-hmm. And... And we'd tell the doctors these things and the doctors would be like, oh, we'll just figure this out, figure this out. And we jumped through and we saw probably four different doctors during this time uh, about it. And they all kind of were like, meh, whatever this or whatever that. Um, And then uh, finally, we moved on to a doctor at her gynecologist, a different uh, doctor there. Well, I think I was visiting my gynecologist and she said... Because, you know, every year you go and they have all these questions. And she knew that I was, we were wanting kids. And so she's like, well, she finally said, it seems like you've been trying for a long time. Let's, <laughs> and the thing is, I can't even remember what the test was. It was like on day, maybe it's actually just called day three test. And it was like, while you're on your cycle on the third day, you get tested for something. I apologize because I don't know what it was. But that was a first step. And us finally, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, and so I'm I'm glad she finally just said, you just need to do it because, you know. I am happy <clears throat> that she finally uh, said something and, and put us on to the first doctor in the series that eventually got us to where it is. The problems come in the fact that this was four to five years into our struggle. And um, we'll get to eventually the part of the story where we actually get the diagnosis and all of that. But at this point, you know, it's just so frustrating because for four years we've been struggling with this. But here's going to be the part that every person who's dealing with infertility who's listening to this will understand is this entire first five years, nobody except our doctors and us knew about this. My family didn't know that we were struggling. Nope. Sarah's family family. didn't know that we were struggling. And it didn't help that every time my my family would get together or any family, when are you going to have kids? Why don't you guys have kids yet? And, you know, that's the reason Mm -hmm. why now I never ask people if they're going to have kids because I remember what it was like. I would literally, we'd barely get into the car and I'd be crying because I'd Mm -hmm. be like, they're asking again and, you know, we, we want one. And so... Yeah. yeah. And it, it was the same on my side. You know, I I had gotten to the point where I had a rote at answer that I would throw out when people would say no kids yet. And I was like, oh, we just haven't been blessed with one yet. Ha 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 ha. Um, but it, it was killing us inside. And so we would 
talk to each other about it and and poor sarah at the time she worked uh in a, a sorting facility for a major retailer out of Kearney, nebraska you're familiar with Kearney, nebraska you probably would know uh just by that clue but a, a major nationwide retailer that's headquartered in Kearney, nebraska um and and she's working there and it would seem like every once or twice a month one of her co-workers would come in and be like well i just found out i'm pregnant i didn't know we weren't even trying <laughs> but it looks like we're having a baby and and sarah would have to be excited for them and oh, yeah. happy because it is a happy occasion for them but then inside she was dying because she wanted to be there yeah and and couldn't and to the outside a lot of people were looking at us just like oh maybe they just decided they don't want kids yeah that's what most people just assume they're like we just thought you just didn't want kids and i'm like no it's just not something you advertise that yeah we've been i mean my close friends knew like they knew that we were trying and they knew not to tease me or anything but no one else had any clues Mm-hmm. But that's the deal is so so we're dealing with this alone. And that's part of why we started this podcast is because we know what it's like to deal with this by ourselves and not have a support system out there and to struggle with it. And so we want people to realize that they're not alone, that this is not as rare as their doctor might have told them it is. You know, prior to us going through it, we thought infertility was something that only affected rich people who waited until they were 45 before having kids, right? Because um, you'd see it on E! News when when uh, some famous actress decides to have babies and she's 42 years old, so she goes through fertility treatment to have it or whatever. Uh, and this isn't. This happens to everyday people. This happens to probably more people than you think and if you're listening to this uh and you aren't dealing with infertility yourself i would almost guarantee you know someone who is and uh they haven't even told you about it because it is it's really private but it's also stigmatized you know here it is the one thing our bodies are supposed to be designed to do and for some reason or other our bodies can't do it and and so you suffer with it silently and it kills you and I want people to know that you don't have to be silent. The um, best thing that ever happened to us was when I posted the GoFundMe for our fertility treatment. It was when I put it out there and people started to know what I was dealing with. And it stopped being this silent thing that we were dealing with by ourselves and became this public thing that people knew that we were dealing with and could support us on or ignore us on you know but it was so long it was a weight off of our shoulders but that's going to be enough of our story for this particular episode uh we want to keep these episodes from going too long because we could talk forever and and <laughs> on this but we're going to move on to a segment that we hope is a regular segment on this where we share someone else's story um, if you uh, have been following us on our Facebook page, uh, Infertility Bites podcast on Facebook, you can find us at facebook.com slash infertility bites. Um, you can email us at infertility bites podcast at gmail.com. If you follow us on those uh, ways or email us, we'll send you a link to a um, Google Docs form that you can fill out to tell us your story. And I've been soliciting stories from other people going through it. 
Um, today's story, it's a long one, and so I'm probably only going to do one story today. Some days we might do multiple stories, but on this episode we're just going to do the one. Um, and it's, Sarah hasn't read this one yet, so... <laughs> I am nervous now. <laughs> so, so, um, it's, it's a little strong one. Um, but it's, uh, from a Sarah and an Andy. Uh, Sarah and her husband Andy, they were trying to conceive for four years. And um, I have some questions on here that I have for them to answer on it. But I'm going to go get to those after I read their story. So, Sarah and Andy, they say, Our journey to parenthood started four years ago. My husband and I had always discussed waiting until we were done with graduate school and established our careers before even talking about having kids. But then my mom got sick. She was diagnosed with cancer and this flipped my world upside down. From that moment on, waiting for the right time seemed silly, and the importance of starting a family soon became one of my top priorities in life. I readied, I read about my mom's cancer, read the pathology reports about a million times. I knew what it meant. I knew that this cancer would ultimately take her from us and way too soon. We started trying right away. My husband didn't have the same sense of urgency, which led to some frustration. I knew the routine to expect. Try for about a year, and then the doctors will look into what, why you can't conceive. I had a feeling we would have some trouble. I was never exactly regular with my cycles. Boy, did I underestimate everything. Fast forward about eight months. My mom successfully had surgery and completed chemo and radiation, and she was officially in remission. My husband and I were trying to do all the trick, tracking temps, checking CM, monitoring symptoms. Nothing was working. I made an appointment to see my OBGYN. I fibbed a little on our timeline and said we'd been trying for over a year and shared my sense of urgency in getting pregnant because I feared the return of mother's cancer. I had mentally prepared for it to come back within two years, so the clock was ticking. At this point, I was in the late 20s, same with my husband. I worked, They worked up the diagnose and diagnosed me with PCOS. All my labs looked good, but due to my irregular cycles and the string of pearls on my ultrasound... I was given the diagnosis of PCOS. So the string of pearls is the small little cysts appearing on the ovaries. The doctor wasn't too concerned and said we could take Clomid to make timing it all easier and ensure ovulation, but he wanted my husband's sample before moving forward. My husband was dragging his feet with this part as he felt uncomfortable going in and producing a sample under such odd circumstances, but he did it. Shockingly, the results of the semen analysis revealed low motility. At this point, my OBGYN punted us off to an RE which is a fertility specialist, as we were now considered a complicated infertility case. The news of my husband's semen analysis came about a week after my mom went in for follow-up scans on monitoring her remission. This was like a one-two punch. First, my mom's cancer was back. Stage four. It came back with a vengeance. Less than six months of remission, and I was back to trying its best to rob her of the years left in her life. And then finding out getting pregnant would take an RE. This was a tough month for us. But I dried my eyes, put on my big girl pants, and prepared to fight for my mom and for our fertility journey. We got in with an RE a couple weeks later, and boom, more bad news. After additional testing on my husband's swimmers, and due to our urgency to get pregnant, it was recommended that we move directly onto IVF. Well, that's a tough one to wrap our heads around. Shortly after this, we did all the necessary testing, shelling out thousands of dollars, because why would insurance cover infertility? It's not like it's a medical diagnosis or anything. Screams with frustrations in parentheses. I feel this in my soul. Um, so I hear you here. Everything looked good to go from a testing standpoint. Our RE tells us that we have 
she ha will have no problem getting us pregnant. Our main issue is male factor and all my tests look good. This will be, quote, easy. Oh man, I have to laugh at this now because I don't even think she could have predicted how messy and complicated our case would become. I don't think we really had time to absorb everything going in. I was truly focused on having a baby and sharing the special moment with my mom. She called me one night in the midst of all the IVF testing and flat out asked me, am I going to die? I work in healthcare and she knew I read everything I could to get in my hands on regarding her cancer, her treatments, and what to expect. I knew this cancer would take her from us, but I also knew that I could not know when... I am not God. So we could only pray for time and healing and peace. She cried. I cried. She begged me to, and she begged to me to be there to hold my baby one day. I will never forget this conversation. I wanted nothing more than to have a healthy baby and to have my mom there helping me navigate life as a new mom. As tough as the journey was becoming, we had to move forward. I needed to do this. I needed to be able to share this with her. It came time to start the process. I did one, one month of birth control. We ordered all the meds and I made the CD1 red rum call, which is uh, the uh, cycle day one spotting call that you call the doctor to say, hey, my cycle has started so they can track and everything there. Okay. Um, it was go time. I was instructed to start my stim shots on uh, cycle day three. My family knew what was going on and boy, didn't they have some thoughts. They couldn't believe I would even consider doing all of this while caring for my mom whose health was rapidly deteriorating, but they couldn't see it from my perspective. I, the need to share these moments with my mom. My siblings were blessed enough to have already had children who my mom loved and spoiled. She was there for the birth of their kids and she loved them more than her own children. She was the best mom, but an even better grandma. I wanted this for my child, if even only for a moment in time. The day before I was supposed to start my stims, my mom had an appointment for chemo. At this point, I was in denial. I knew she, would be able, she wouldn't be able to get the chemo, and in the end was much closer than I would like to admit. The doctor confirmed it all and told us it would be a matter of time, roughly two weeks. Two weeks? Are you kidding me? This guy with an MD behind his name had the audacity to limit my mom's time on earth to two fucking weeks? At the time, my anger was directed at him. My whole world came crumbling down. We immediately stopped everything. Every second was focused on caring for my mom, making memories, loving her, praying that about uh, the doctor was wrong. But with life, there comes death, and there is love, there will be grief. My mom died about three weeks after that doctor's appointment. I was 28 years old, and she was going on 60. The world stopped spinning. The grief was all-consuming. I was lost in the world and swallowed by a deep physical sadness, and it felt like my heart was ripped in two. Every moment we were meant to share together in the future would never happen. It still hurts, and it always will. The first year after my mom died was rough. We were faced with the decision to move forward with IVF. The meds and stuff were expiring within the year, forfeiting all that money that we'd already paid, roughly $6,000 at this point. We waited a while, but decided to at least move forward with the retrieval. No one really tells you how shitty the retrieval is, especially if you have a high AMH. I had 28 eggs retrieved. I looked six months pregnant at retrieval, not a joke, and terribly cruel to have a peak at which what I could be. Of the 28, 21 were mature, and all 21 fertilized. They end up using ICSI. We ended up with 12 perfectly graded, quote, supermodel embryos, as my RE stated. We tested all 12, more for peace of mind, and in hopes of preventing more loss of life. Eight came back normal. It's all a numbers game. But all in all, we were happy with our numbers. So many aren't as lucky as we were. We opted to move forward with an FET, which is frozen embryo transplant. I'm not sure why we made this decision, but once you set your minds on having a baby, it becomes really 
uh, such a focus of your life. We transferred one PGS normal embryo. Eight days after transfer, we went in for a beta. Positive. Holy smokes, I was pregnant. The second beta more than doubled. The first ultrasound was set. We saw our little bean and heard his beautiful little heartbeat. Our RE was thrilled and told us we could finally let the family know if we wanted and that she would see us back in two weeks. We left with huge smiles on our faces and had a big family dinner that weekend. We announced to everyone that we were expecting a little miracle. We were over the moon. <sighs> Sorry. Shortly before our eight-week ultrasound, though, I began to feel as though something was wrong. I noticed my nausea had eased and my vivid dreams were no longer happening. Deep down, I knew, and the ultrasound confirmed. We had a missed miscarriage. Thank you, IVF meds. Our RE stated that PGS normal miscarriages happen about 7% of the time. What? Why didn't we know that sooner? This was devastating. We had a D&E the next day. They trended my betas down until less than five, and then we prepped again, this time with less hope in the process. We had no answers for what happened, and that made everything scarier. The unknowns is not a place we like to be. For the next transfer, everything looked good. We transferred another PGS normal embryo, but then I left the clinic. Things just felt off. Unsurprisingly, my beta was negative. It was still a tough one to hear. We opted to do an endo scratch for the next cycle and then try again. Well, 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 if this wasn't just a mess. First off, the endo scratch sucks. It's painful and absolutely miserable and maybe would only wish it on my worst enemies, and even then I would probably feel bad. It's horrible. I felt like my insides were being scraped repeatedly with a rusty sharp rake. Never again. So after that was over with, we waited for red rum, and then we started the FET prep. From here on out, uh, all came out my lining issues. The next five cycles were all canceled. My lining would just not budge. It would not get above a six without fluid pockets forming. I swore up and down I had an infection. They hit a hysteroscopy and found micropolyps on the back of my uterus. Put me on two weeks of doxy and called it good. Well, after researching, those micropolyps can be indicative of endometriosis, an, an infection of the uterus. I freaking knew something was off. Things just felt off. Like weird pains I'd never had before. Everything I read kept pointing to an infection. My RE dismissed me repeatedly. We finally opted to try one more time. This time we did a stimulated FET. My lining got to seven and we transferred two PG embryos. PGS embryos. I was actually hopeful this time, so when we got the negative, it was that much more devastating. My husband was incredibly concerned for me at this point. Everything in our life revolves around getting pregnant. We decided it was time to take a break. We agreed on three months. Well, within three months of COVID, hi. <laughs> so our three months turned into eight months. During this time, I did my research. Still was tracking, and let me tell you, things were still off. My cycle was more regular, but I was still having weird pains. My menstrual bleeding was much less than before IVF. When we went back to the RE, I told her my own protocol. I wanted to add antibiotics and try delestrogen for my lining. We agreed to try one more transfer of two, and if it didn't work, we'd do another retrieval and regroup before any more transfers. It worked. It worked well. This journey has been exhausting, and now we are officially pregnant but terrified to be happy. I really hope that this our miracle rainbow baby, but we're very early pregnant. I have to keep telling myself. My best friend reminds me to get a mantra and repeat it to myself. I love you, baby, and I can't wait to hold you. I'm trying to enjoy all this, but my anxiety is through the roof and I'm terrified. Here's hoping it's our time. Our hearts are ready. So I'm going to fill some some silence here because my wife is crying and I knew she would be. And uh, I would be crying even if I'd read it before. Yes, it, it's here's the thing. If you're listening to this, send out all the positive and prayers and everything you can. Yes. 
to Sarah and Andy. They uh, have been through a lot. And sadly, um, a lot of us have been through very similar. Um, but they've been through a lot. And so send all the positives you can their way. Um, you're just hoping everything's going great with them. We wish them the best. I had some questions that I have on this forum for them. And I said, have you encountered anything along the way that made you feel alone or overwhelmed along the way? And their answer is pretty much indicative of everyone, I think. Uh, the entire journey, not a lot of people understand. They say, my family doesn't ask questions and prefers not to know. After our first pregnancy loss, it almost got worse. One of my brothers was actually mad at us for sharing our pregnancy news and told us next time you'd need to wait longer to tell us. It's been rough. They just don't get the emotional toll of it all. It is so isolating. And I understand that. That's another one of those I feel it in my soul moments. People who aren't going through this don't understand how emotionally tolling this can be every month. Every, like they'd said in their thing that their entire life, your entire life revolves around trying to get pregnant. That's what it was like for us. I mean, it was constantly, you feel like a test subject. You're constantly testing yourself. And then, I mean, not to be too much information, but you're just like, you know, and our sex or intercourse has become just a chore to do. And you're mm -hmm. like, and that's not fun. I mean, that's not what it's for. So it was just, I don't know. She says that her husband has been the most supportive of her. My husband and my best friend. My husband has been through a lot. He's been my biggest supporter, my shoulder to cry on, the one I vent my frustrations to, and my verbal punching bag for when I'm fluctuating hormones and emotions get the best of me. I could have not have gone through any second of this journey without him by my side. But she also thanks her best friend, her BFF, sister from another Mr. Joe. She keeps my head on straight. While her miracle baby didn't come from treatments, she endured two losses before she brought home her son. Those two losses were devastating. Every day she keeps the spirit of her girls alive. She shares their stories and isn't afraid to speak about pregnancies and infant loss. She has helped me cope through some of the darkest moments of this journey. And for that, I will forever be grateful. So, Joe, we thank you for yes. helping your friend through this. Um, that's, I mean, you need that. Mm -hmm. But um, when they submitted this, everything was going good with the pregnancy. So I really hope everything is uh, continuing to go good. I asked them what advice they have for others. They say, do your research and be prepared to advocate for yourself. Sometimes the doctors will try to group you in with similar cases, but we're all so different that the treatment for one person won't necessarily work for the next. I spoke up for myself offered up research papers and treatments from Ari's elsewhere, and my doctor listened. She looked into everything I suggested and we made changes. Do not hold back. Speak up and always advocate for yourself. If something doesn't seem right, trust your gut and make them listen to you. No one knows yourself better than you. She says she prays that everyone going through this journey finds strength and hope. Whatever your outcome, she prays your heart is full of peace and your arms full of love. Whatever it is, through the birth of your child, embryo donation, adoption, or choosing to live a life without children, I hope you have the love you deserve in life. And so we 100% we, uh, agree with you. Um, we hope the best for everyone. And we hope, you know, some people are going to go through infertility treatments and they're going to be able to go through IUI or IVF and be successful. And that's where we were. We ended up successful with one round of IVF we're and very lucky. we were very fortunate on that um, but some people aren't that lucky some people have to go through adoption 
Uh, some people can't even afford to go through adoption, and and that's why we need to be supportive of everyone who who's trying in every way, shape, or form. And then she has a question uh, for the listeners, right? She says she wants advice from our listeners of how you can enjoy being pregnant when you're constantly terrified that you will lose this baby too. Um, well, I would, to be honest, I was going to say something. Uh, I don't think we even looked at baby stuff until I was well over six months because I was, to be honest, I thought I was going to jinx myself. I thought we spent so long and we went through everything and, you know, we, I, we kind of knew financially that we couldn't do this again. Uh, I mean, we really couldn't. And I, I mean, and people at my work actually thought I wasn't happy I was pregnant. I'm like, I'm thrilled, I said, but I'm just, I'm so nervous. So, I mean, it's just, you know, that's another thing. Don't judge someone if, you know, if they went through this. Understand that they've been wanting this. I don't think I fully got super excited until I heard Stella cry after I gave birth. Because then I knew she was healthy and happy, well, you know, you know, because, but I mean, I remember we would be walking in Target and Casey would be like, are you sure you don't want to look at baby stuff? And I'd be like, no, not yet. Not yet. Because I, I just was so nervous that something was going to happen. So just, I mean, for me, it was Casey was, you know, he was there for me as I would be crying. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I mean, for me praying, just, I don't know. Yeah. I love you so much, baby. It's it is tough. It is a tough thing, um, especially uh, when you've gone through loss prior, lost pregnancies, miscarriages, uh, even even just never getting pregnant. It's there's always that worry, and and so I I don't really have an answer for for this, and so I'm gonna put it out to the listeners. Um, so if you have an answer for her question, how can you enjoy being pregnant when you're constantly terrified you will lose this baby too? If you have an answer to that, you can email us at infertilitybitespodcast at gmail.com. Let us know you're answering Sarah and Andy's question, and we will uh, pass it on on the next show. Um, but yeah, it's it's tough. This whole thing is tough. And probably the best thing is leaning on other people who've gone through it and know what you're dealing with. Um, we are members of a couple different infertility, uh, Facebook groups, um, and, and that helps people. Um, I've been trying to be an active member recently on one of them, um, for the local area to try to help people, but just know you're not alone. Know that this is something that a lot of people deal with and it's not something wrong with you, uh, that just sometimes people need a little help and, I think it's a lot more people than they like to give credit to. And that's why I wish I could go back and find that doctor who said true infertility is really rare and punch him right in the nose. And I'm not a violent man, but I would punch him right in the nose. So um, so that's the story for this week. Um, it's a long story. So, uh, But thank you, Sarah and Andy, yes, for sharing your you story so with us. Um, and you're definitely going to be in my thoughts and prayers. Yes, um, and we're hoping for all the best for you this time around, and um, we look forward to an update down the road. Just keep us keep us in the loop, um, and if you need more thoughts and prayers, um, let us know, and we'll put out the call some more. On that note, though, we will start to wrap things up for this episode. 
Um, like I said, we've got the Facebook group, facebook.com slash infertility bites. Um, I'm probably going to start up a Twitter at some point, but it's, this is something that's really weird to probably join Twitter. Yeah. So I can help out uh, to post <laughs> tweets on there. Um, but you can always uh, message us on the Facebook page or email us at infertility bites podcast at gmail.com. Um, there, if you want to submit your story, let us know. We'll send you a link to this exact form that you can fill out to let us know what you've gone through. Uh, I think you'll find that a lot of people, um, can relate to things. Like, there are a lot of things in this story that hit me right in my soul. Um, but we appreciate everyone giving us, uh, a little bit of their time. Um, submit your stories to us. Hit us up on the email. Um, and just let us know how we can help you guys out. Um, if you have any questions about our journey, like I said, we only gave just a, the beginning of our journey this time, but if you have questions that you want us to answer, let us know. But we're going to go ahead and wrap things up for this episode today. Um, after such a, uh, such a emotional segment that we had there, I thought it would be very nice, uh, for our little scientific miracle baby to uh send us home today so uh enjoy listening to our baby girl say hello and bye-bye thanks for listening we'll see you soon bye i love you hello hello bye-bye bye-bye